With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It's a big free agency trades madness uh, recap of everything that has happened over the course of the first two and a half days of NBA free agency season and the new calendar year. Uh, to do that, I've got Shamit Dua here. Shamit, tell the people where you have work. Like you, you have you have a few different places and I want to get all of them. So I'm just going to allow you to get all of them. Uh, for sure, for sure. So you primarily right now, you could find my work at Boot Crew Media and that's also where uh, our podcast is hosted. I have a co-host, Mason Ginsberg. Um, the podcast is called In the Know, and it's mostly about the Pelicans, but we talk about the NBA as well. And um, yeah, I would say if you want to find my work, check out Boot Crew Media. That's the primary destination at this moment. So I'm a big fan of Shamit because he knows way more about the CBA than I do and is uh, very, very good at knowing what's going on nationally across the NBA. And like, in large part, it's just because, like, you grew up as a huge fan of the NBA and, like, you follow this whole thing. Like, you don't just follow the Pelicans. You know what's going on league-wide. It's great. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up uh, as a Shaquille O'Neal fan. Um, I actually – it's funny because I came to the States uh, in 2000 and that was, like, you know, the the – where Shaquille and the Lakers were really <laughs> doing their thing. And um, so I became a big fan there. And then we moved around a lot when I was a, a kid in like 10 different states. So it was difficult for me to nail down a specific team. But uh, the NBA and basketball were constant. So that's where I really picked up on like following what's going on in the league. And and, and it was when I came to New Orleans um, and Chris Paul was there and they had a beautiful run where they ended up losing to the Spurs um in the second round that's where i was like wow this team is really something kind of hitched my uh hitched my wagon to the the new orleans team at the moment then hornets now pelicans and i'm trapped i'm trapped now (laughs) yeah well it's a good team to be trapped with now because they finally figured some things out uh whenever you have zion williamson and brandon ingram and now cj mccollum you know it's a it's a little bit hard to fuck up it's not like you can't fuck it up but they're in a good spot they're in a very, very good spot, especially after the Anthony Davis, Andrew Holiday deals. We're not here to talk about the Pelicans, though. Maybe a little bit at the end. Let's be honest. The way this podcast is going to go, uh, because there is so much madness, I felt like I actually had to come up with a plan of attack here. We have, uh, like, I, on this podcast, I've already recorded a 40-minute podcast on Kevin Durant. Please go listen to that. It's the bonus episode with Alex Schiffer. It's on the feed. It's on the YouTube channel. Please go subscribe to the YouTube channel, obviously. Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. Uh, If you want more on the Kevin Durant situation immediately right now, you have two options. Your first option is just go listen to that podcast. Uh, Alex is the athletics beat writer for the Brooklyn Nets. He can break down everything. We went into fake trades. We went into all of the craziness, right? 
The second option is to fast forward to the end of this podcast because Shamit and I are going to kind of do a bit of a deep dive uh, on where that stands. Honestly, it feels like to me, the way that the off season has gone, a lot of what happened early and quickly in the off season was stuff that was pretty far down the track. And now the league feels a bit held up by what's happening with Kevin. Uh, I've already talked about it so much, though, that I want to save it toward the end so that people who have other things that they care about get some interesting content here. So we're going to start with Rudy Gobert. We're going to go to Malcolm Brogdon next. Then we're going to go to all of the free agency signings that have already occurred, basically. Uh, And then after that, we'll talk about Kevin a little bit. But let's start with Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is one of the most interesting trades I can remember, point blank, period. Uh, What is going on in Utah indeed, Brian Windhorst? Uh, Because good Lord, uh, we have got some wild uh, decision-making here uh, in terms of the Minnesota Timberwolves with what they have done to acquire Rudy Gobert. They have given up three unprotected first-round picks, 2023, 2025, 2027. They've given up one top five protected first round pick in 2029 uh they have given up walker kessler who was the 22 overall pick this year in the 2022 nba draft they've given up patrick beverly and jared vanderbilt both of whom are terrific uh high level role player impact players on the defensive end it's it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot to give up for Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert is a great player. Rudy Gobert is top 15, top 20 player in the league. Uh, He is a phenomenal defense unto himself, but Shamit, when you saw this, what was your immediate impact that, you know, what was your immediate reaction that Rudy Gobert is going to the Minnesota Timberwolves? So when the, when the trade first broke, uh, there was no concept of the amount of picks that were going to be involved. So my first thought was like, oh, cool. Minnesota's about to do something very interesting, and they probably got a good deal out of it because I didn't expect Rudy's market to be what it was, given that he has known limitations despite how good he is, and he has um, an unbelievable amount of money left on his contract. He had signed that $200 million, um, almost the full Supermax, like what he was capable of signing. He got very close to that full amount. And so I was like, well, given given his positional limitations, given his his offensive limitations, um, his market should be pretty tepid. And Minnesota is taking an opportunity to lock in a very good team for for quite some time because they just locked in Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, um, a young star in the making, uh, obviously Jalen McDaniels, um, just someone that they prioritize there, but. I when the when the picks got revealed and you said three unprotected picks and then a lightly protected pick um, in the future and Walker Kessler and obviously some some role players that they had, I was like they are insane. I mean that type of return, it's it's straight up more than Drew Holiday netted, uh, and the Bucks yeah. went all in because they were on the verge of a title. Right, they were coming up yeah. short and their expectations were to win a title. The the Timberwolves they were a play in team. Right, they were they were the seventh seat. They were they were a play-in team, and to go all in on that capacity on a player who also plays the player your best the position that your best player plays, and to have that kind of redundancy and that much money locked up in bigs for the next five years, 
Um, it's it's crazy to me because I think there's going to be legitimate moments where you can't have both of them on the court at the same time. And so if you can't have both of them on the court at the same time, then why did you invest so many assets? Could you have not done a proof of concept first, right? Like we yeah. JaVale signed a three-year deal in Dallas. Uh, obviously, JaVale's nowhere near um, anything that, that Rudy is. But can you have done a proof of concept first before leaning – so forcefully into this, um, this construction. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to preface all of this of what I'm going to say by saying that I think Minnesota is going to be a very good regular season team. Yeah. I think they're going to be awesome in the regular season. Uh, Rudy Gobert. I think it's been like overblown that Rudy Gobert by himself makes you a top 10 defense. Utah, if I remember correctly, was like 12th or 13th this year in defensive efficiency. Uh, I would say maybe Rudy by himself makes you a top half of the league defense as opposed to a like elite defense, top third, top quarter of the league defense. Uh, he is a great player, but you do need help around him. Minnesota had a good defense this year. I think they were also like right around the same range that Utah was. They were 12th or 13th in defensive efficiency this year. I think that what they did really well was communicate all year. They do a really good job of playing within the scheme that Chris Finch wants them to play. Uh, And for instance, someone like D'Angelo Russell got better this year defensively. Uh, I think that he was actually a critical point in terms of just you you read anything out of Minnesota, they will tell you D'Angelo Russell's ability to communicate, to get guys in proper positions. It was really beneficial. This is... On top of that, like I, I think that the fit of Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns on offense is really interesting as well. You can run ball screens with D'Angelo Russell and Rudy Gobert, and then have Carl Towns, um, you know, on your second side. You can have Anthony Edwards running ball screens with D'Angelo Russell on your second side. Right? It, it's a really interesting dynamic because of Carl's ability to dribble past shoot as a seven footer. Now, a lot of where Carl derives his value as a shot creator is in like the mid post and on the block. I know that a lot of people have pointed to the fact that like he played a lot of minutes with Jared Vanderbilt this year. Jared Vanderbilt does not, you know, space the floor at all, really. So he's dealt with, you know, having doubles coming at him because there's not a shooting threat at the five position or there's not a shooting threat at the four position. So it'll be pretty similar. I'm a little bit skeptical of that, to be honest. I think it's a little bit different when. Rudy is playing the four and or Rudy's playing the five and has like a true center on him rotating over as opposed to Jared Vanderbilt playing the four uh, and has like, you know, a more wing type player rotating over from Carl Towns. I think that that's going to be a pretty complicated, more difficult situation for Carl to post up with. He's going to have maybe a bit more of a good matchup. Defensive, uh, defensively immediately whenever he's on the block because he's playing the four, but you're going to have like the double team, the second help guy. I almost would rather have the second help guy being the four man than the five man personally, but I, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that I think it's going to work offensively in the regular season. I don't, I don't love this deal. <laughs> I think it's an egregious amount to pay for a player that is not on your two best players' timeline. Uh, 
Anthony Edwards, for as good as he is, is still not quite there yet. Um, he is still a bit inefficient. And maybe he does take a leap. Like maybe Anthony Edwards is one of those like 21, 22-year-olds who becomes a top 15 player in the league immediately. I, I'm not quite there with Ant yet, as good as he is and is incredible as his explosive moments are i think consistency uh on a consistent basis he's probably more of like a top 30 player in the league uh and rudy is speaking of that number 30 30 years old already and the track record for seven footers as they move beyond 30 years old is not ideal and you can make the case that rudy gobert is a different seven footer he is someone who has a great reputation for keeping in impeccable shape and someone that could age really, really well. I think it's hard to age really well when you are uh, naturally tall at the end of the day. Like when you're seven foot tall, it's like the body is the human body is not supposed to be seven foot tall. And it's hard, I think to age that way. So I wonder for as much as Rudy keeps himself in shape, I just worry that as Rudy is declining a little bit and as Carl and Ant keep ascending, does this trade impact them in the way that I think Tim Connolly is hoping for? Like, it feels like they're almost all in for this season and next season as opposed to like when Carl Towns and Anthony Edwards will be great, which to me is in like three years down the track. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think I'm not worried about that 2023 unprotected pick. Right. And then possibly yeah. not the 2025, obviously it's a long time from now and anything can happen, but if you have Carl there, if you have Ant there, you should, you know, be a decent team and it provided Rudy's giving you stuff, but it's, it's concerning to me that there is four years left on, on Rudy's deal. And the last year uh, in 2025-26 is $46 million. Now, maybe they know something that we don't know regarding the cap jump. Um, and, yeah. like, let's say the new TV deal comes in, the cap jump happens, and they feel like on the back end of that deal there's going to be enough relief. And I think they already paid the tax uh, – was it last year or two years ago, and they missed the playoffs, and they're preparing to be a tax team for the foreseeable future, especially once you start getting into Ant's extension, which is uh, – and uh, that was weird. Um, anyways, yeah, I think I, we're back. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're back. Yeah. I, I like what they've done in terms of bringing in slow-mo. I think they needed wing defenders and yeah. even locking in Prince at like a very moderate, modest price um, just to have rotation caliber players. But I, you know, it's, it's just so difficult to wrap my head around committing so, so wholeheartedly to, to this pairing. I mean, I think they're going to be good. And part of it, it's funny because you, you kind of look at the connections there. Chris Finch uh, pioneered sort of the, the two big offense when it was um, Jokic and Nurkic in, in Denver. Right. And then he came to New Orleans and then it was AD and Boogie and they had the Twin Tower things going on there. And Chris Finch was also a, um, a pretty big part of, of engineering 
what was going on there. And Dell Demps was there too. And now Dell Demps is also in Minnesota. And so you have all of these little pieces um, coming together. And then next thing you know, Minnesota's trading all of these picks uh, for, for another big, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the offense is going to work. Um, I think they're going to be pretty creative with it. I like some of the, the sets they'll be able to do, even if like Rudy's in the dunker spot, just having that like vertical vertical threat um, to either just punish someone, a smaller player on the offensive glass or just finish over the top of them. And, and Carl's really versatile. I just think that when you get to the playoffs and you face a team like yeah. the Clippers or you face Dal- or well, Dallas of last year, we can we're talk about Dallas in a second, I guess. Um, right. But, you know, you face one of these teams that will space you out and, and will stretch you out. Are you, Who are you benching if, if you're not – and if you're not benching, are you trusting two of those guys to be spaced out in the way that they are? Are you playing a zone where you're just planting Rudy back there? I, I don't know. Like, you know, like what – I'm so curious to see. Maybe they just feel like rebounding and, and sizes is going to be their strength and they're leaning all the way into it. Yeah, I think that that's probably it. I would for people who think that like you can just keep these guys on the court in the playoffs and it'll work <clears throat> just point to Boston, right? Like at the end of the day, I think that that's the situation people look at now like, Oh, Al Horford and Robert Williams could stay on the court together and they made it work. You know, Robert Williams, you know, I don't, I don't want to like overstate how skilled Robert Williams is, but like, Robert Williams can really pass and like Robert Williams, you know, yeah, he's, he's not as effective overall offensively as Rudy, but I feel like you almost have to guard him out higher than Rudy because of his ability to like make plays with ball in hand a little bit more. Uh, and on top of it, both Al Horford and Robert Williams are incredibly smart, savvy, terrific defenders. Uh, Robert Williams is like a genuine impact defender. Uh, Al Horford is one of the smartest defenders in the NBA. I don't know if necessarily his athleticism allows him to, you know, be an all defense caliber guy anymore, but Robert Williams certainly is that Rudy Gobert certainly is that Carl Towns is not that. So I think that the reason that the Al Horford, Robert Williams things work is that they can make it work on both ends of the court at a high level. They're complete players. Uh, Rudy isn't really someone who can punish you offensively in any way. Carl is not someone that is a great defender. I just have real questions if teams are going to be able to exploit them kind of on both ends of the court, exploit Rudy, you know, on the offensive end when the opposing team is on defense, exploit Carl when Minnesota is on defense and the other team is on offense. And on top of it, this is a team now that like just does not have foot speed at all. Like you look across the lineup. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is not a particularly fast player. Rudy Gobert, Carl Towns front court is not going to be fast. Like there's just not a different way to say it at the end of the day. Like I, I think that Rudy moves really well for a center, but you know, that front like end to end speed, but laterally, no. right? Totally. Um, Kyle Anderson, as much as I love that signing, I think that might be the best value signing of free agency thus far. Uh, Kyle Anderson is 
literally nicknamed slow-mo. He's not the fastest guy in the world. Um, D'Angelo Russell, not that fast. Like you look across the lineup and it's really like Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards. And that's it. Like Torian Prince, not some phenomenal, crazy athlete, Jordan McLaughlin, like a smaller guy, right? Uh, Naz Reed, another guy like who will be the backup center. I would think like slower guy, right? So good footwork, but slower guy. Uh, I, I just, I worry if they have the requisite foot speed to keep up with teams in the playoffs when teams are just going to space them out. And that's what's going to happen. Teams are going to space them out. And we look at the way the modern NBA is going at this point. Seeming, we need to talk about this too, the fact that teams, for whatever reason, keep trying to go big right now. But the teams that have made it work in the playoffs have gone small. Miami is a team that goes small. Like, Bam Adebayo plays out on the perimeter. Bam is like a six foot nine center, and then they have space around him. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks literally made their run this year playing small around Luka Doncic. Boston, their entire thing, like you can say that they play big, but their entire thing is like the intersection of size and skill and mobility. Like they try to find guys that are six foot five to six foot nine who can move their feet and who can defend and do things like that. I, I don't see this on the Minnesota roster. It's, I'm sorry to say it. Like, I, I don't like this <laughs> at the end of the day. Like I get it. I understand what Tim Connolly is going for. And I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. I just don't know how this team doesn't become very exploitable in the playoffs at the end. of the day. Well, one thing, you know, not to, to spend too much time on this team, but, but one thing I do want to talk about is like the Bucks did win like playing big like they had size right and and prior to that the lakers did have size but what what separates the play of the like the ability to play at that size is having the best player in the world Giannis Antetokounmpo who can do all of those things having LeBron James and Anthony Davis two of the top 10 players in the world who can do all of those things um when when Golden State was able to play Looney all the way throughout the playoffs and Draymond, right? It's like two, two non shooters. Right. It's because they have literally the best shooters of all time on their team. And so like, I think where, where teams get in trouble is like, Oh, well, my big gets ran off the floor. It's typically not happening defensively as much as it is happening offensively. And they're just hemorrhaging points on, on the other end because they just, they just can't punish switches. And then I think with Utah, I think the, the, the conversation of like, well, Rudy got ran off the floor. Like, Partially true, partially is like they had terrible perimeter defenders that really kind of like left them out to dry. But what hurt them more than anything is like when it is five out, Rudy can't yep. do anything about it. And so does you Minnesota can't punish have, teams on the offensive end is what you're saying. Right. Does Minnesota yep. have the offensive firepower between the Ant, D'Lo, uh, Towns trio to make it happen? I'm skeptical. Uh, obviously, that's something they're they're betting on. Um, maybe maybe they have something up their sleeves uh, in the future. Um, but I'm I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm skeptical. There's enough offensive like play creating talent there to to make it work in the deepest um, rounds of the playoffs. Regular season, I think it'll be a pain in the ass to play against, and they're going to probably be like a 50 win team. Like they're going to be good. Yeah, I, I honestly think they might win more than 50 games in yeah. the regular season. Like this yeah. is going to be an awesome regular season team. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. To the other side, Utah, this is an incredible informed bet. Like these picks, these these deals where you trade a star for draft halls, right? The uh the Paul George trade, the 
Drew Holiday trade, the uh, the James Harden trade, right? Like that's maybe the best example right now because uh, essentially what the Rockets did was they made an informed bet that the Brooklyn Nets would blow up and thus they would get all of this value in the 2023 to 2027 drafts, basically. Um, I think this is an incredible informed bet by Utah. Uh, it might not work. You know, sometimes you can't predict the future, right? But it's a very good informed bet to bet on a team that now has two guys playing the center position as their best players. I think that what Minnesota's best hope is that Anthony Edwards usurps both those guys and becomes the best player on the team. But right now, the way that this deal looks, they have two teams who are, or two players in the same position that are, you know, somewhat overlappable. I guess you can say Carl can play the four, but I'm skeptical of that defensively. Utah now has a situation where I think that these picks are going to be very valuable. If I remember correctly, two of these picks, 2027, 2029 picks come after Rudy Gobert's contract expires even. So this is a very good informed bet in my opinion by the Utah jazz to get all of these assets to get, you know, Walker Kessler, who is an interesting rim protector for the style of play they've employed previously to get Jared Vanderbilt, who's an incredibly versatile. Like, that's the thing. Like, Jared Vanderbilt, I thought, had a case to get all defense votes this year. Uh, He was like the rock that kind of held them together with his ability to fly over the court and help. I I kind of love that acquisition for them. Like I think that there's a chance they rehabilitate his value to where they might be able to move him for like a late first round pick. Uh, you know, at the deadline if this team is not very good. He also might just help them win with Donovan Mitchell right now. Uh, Patrick Beverly, valuable player. It's a fascinating move for Utah that I think really could pay dividends for them. It's a fantastic move for them, regardless of our skepticism about Minnesota. Whether or not it's good for Minnesota whatever for utah it's definitely a great deal well i'm so curious where they go next like they yeah. they they have a canvas they have all of these assets um uh they you know they netted a pick for for um uh they just made a trade with the nets um why am i blanking yeah for royce o'neill yeah royce o'neill sorry yeah they just netted a pick uh so they have like what six six additional yeah <laughs> what's going on um but they to me it's like they can now go and get anyone they want right if that's what they want to do so like uh do you want to go get john collins you probably could do it um do you want to like do you want to put in a bunch of picks to get um role players on decent contracts around donovan mitchell that allow you to then put it all together for another star down the line you could do that and so i think they're they're in a very interesting space and Danny Ainge is uh, clearly experienced with making these kind of trades and and building from there. So we'll see. One thing I did want to mention while we were, were speaking, Chris Haynes uh, tweeted out that the Lakers and Nets are actively engaged in discussions for Kyrie centered around Russell Westbrook and and all of that. So just wanted to to put this in our put this in our little thing. Chris Haynes uh, just tweeted story out on that. Yeah, uh, I was literally just about to say that as well. So good work by you, Shabbat. Uh, <laughs> look, this this is it's 
if Brooklyn is going to take a step back and not compete this year, and I think that on some level they're going to have to, the Eastern Conference is a bit too deep. I, I think there is a case for them taking on Russell Westbrook. I also think that there is a case for them trying to attach Joe Harris into this deal. Uh, if I was the Nets, I would want both of those firsts. Like I would want oh, yeah. the 2027 and 2029 first. If I am gifting you freaking Kyrie Irving. Have they team, traded 28? Because if they haven't, they could ask for a swap there. I can't remember if they've moved 28 or not. Well, no, they they can't have moved 28 because you wouldn't be able to move 27 or 29. So, the rule. so right. I don't know if they've swapped 28 with uh, – you would know that better than I do because the deal – Yeah, no, the Pelicans don't have the 28 the, swap. The Pelicans yeah. swaps run out. They have the 2024, which defers to 25, and that's when yeah. um, that runs out. And and so that's why 27 and 29 are like the, the first available that they can trade. Yeah. Um, so I would also ask for the 28 swap. If I'm yeah, I, I would ask for all of this if I was the Nets and if I'm the Lakers and I have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I have zero leverage. I'm getting rid of this Russell Westbrook disaster that happened last year as much as I respect and appreciate Russ as a player. Uh, the fit just was not there last year. And the Nets are essentially doing you a favor by giving you Kyrie Irving, who is... Uh, a perfect, perfect, perfect fit across the board with LeBron James. Not really another way to say it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, that. That's a no brainer. That LeBron. I mean, who knows? Maybe LeBron's around for twenty twenty nine. At this rate, he could be. <laughs> he he might be. Yeah, right. But you know, LeBron's definitely not concerned about the twenty twenty nine pick. You tell him like, oh, we could have had Kyrie, but we would have to do the twenty twenty eight swap. And he'd be like, are you crazy? Just do it. Pull the trigger. So, yeah, I think I think that gets done and, and Brooklyn will get whatever they want. Yeah. And look like the Kyrie situation seems like it was not great for anyone this year either. Uh, having said that, we're past the point where Kyrie's stances on vaccinations are going to be a problem at this point. Uh, I you know, as much as I said last show, I strongly disagree with Kyrie's stance on vaccination. Uh, I also think that if I was evaluating this from a basketball perspective, I unequivocally have to note that he's going to be available this year. <laughs> like, you know, he, he is a player that, you know, is ha, has had his issues and has worn out his welcome, you know, now a few different places for differing reasons. But at the end of the day, he's a Hall of Fame basketball player who is a perfect fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who the reason he wasn't available this year is no longer existent. Uh, he is going to be available this year. Uh, the the Kyrie, LeBron, Anthony Davis fit is perfect across the board. And on top of it, like Joe Harris is obviously coming back from surgery. And if you're the Nets, I think you should want to get off of this Joe Harris deal. But right. if you're the Lakers and you're getting Joe Harris like in this deal, it's actually like a pretty big win for them uh, to exactly get Joe Harris. Yeah, like I know it's a bigger tax bill for the bus family and apologies Mm -hmm. about that. (laughs) But like the the money actually lines up pretty well to Kyrie and Joe Harris for Russell Westbrook. And it might be Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, It might be the I think it's Uh, God forbid can't can't trade THT. That's got to keep him at all costs. But, you know, I I, I think, you know, selfishly as as a Pelicans fan, this this is not something I'm, I'm terribly upset with because I do think. Kyrie adds an element of unpredictability 
Uh, and that's really what you're gambling on is, is you know, there's, there's going to be something unpredictable about the Lakers' future. But also, it further reduces options for the Lakers to get better via trade. As long as they keep trading picks that are far out, far out, far out for the near term, I think the Pelicans can look at that 2024 pick, which they can defer to 25 and be like, okay, you know, maybe by then, like they're, they get exhausted all their options. Maybe they even got another ring out of it, but we're, we're sitting pretty nicely. I mean, this eighth pick that they got this year is a nice boon. I'm pretty sure they didn't expect to get that. So uh, they're sitting on a swap for next year. And if Kyrie's there, then, um, you know, very possible that the Pelicans don't swap, but you know, who knows? Maybe KD ends up on the Pelicans and they end up swapping anyway. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk about the KD thing, of course. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, for the Nets now, they're going to have the spacing nightmare that is Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons. Look, if I'm Brooklyn, as, as much as, like, I, I hope Russell Westbrook, like, finds a place to play. And, like, I, I think there are a number of places he can still be, like, a valuable player uh, on some level. Like, honestly, like, him in Washington is actually kind of interesting to me again uh, at this point. Like, putting him next to Beal letting him be the starting point guard, uh, bring Monte Morris off the bench. You have like a number of potential shooting options, particularly Kristaps Porzingis at center. Now, if I'm the Nets, I'm probably just buying out Kyrie or buying out uh, Russell Westbrook. I'm sorry, not buying out the, the buying out Kyrie conversation that came up over the last 24 hours was kind of bonkers to me, given that the Lakers just kind of have to, like give up something for Kyrie. Um, maybe it's one pick and a 28 swap, and then they keep the 29 pick. Maybe that's like the middle ground here, but I would imagine they're getting at least a first round pick for Kyrie um, just to take on this, you know, Russell Westbrook money. Joe Harris is not a particularly valuable player for them moving forward um, because it seems like they're going to have to make some moves here to rebuild. Yeah, this is this is just kind of like it's a fit across the board. Like it just makes a lot of sense. I think you just, you know, give Russell Westbrook a buyout. Russ goes and signs with, you know, Washington, you know, somewhere like Washington, and we go from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Brooklyn's just at this point, all Brooklyn's got to do is figure out how they can maximize value on their stars, maximize the return, which I definitely think this is the pathway for that, and and, and to figure out what they want over the next couple of years? Do they want to try to be semi-competitive around Ben Simmons and, and whatever's left over? Or do they want to continue just um, clearing cap room and then taking on assets for, for all that stuff, like what they what they did the first time when they try to dig themselves out of a hole? So that's that's a big process for them. And I'm, I'm so curious that I think the, you know, the, the next, the bigger trade is going to dictate what they're planning on doing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's... Um... Let's move to the Boston Celtics now, who added Malcolm Brogdon in a trade for Aaron Naismith, Daniel Tice, and a first-round pick. That first-round pick is a 2023 Boston Celtics first-round pick that is lottery-protected. I think a lot of people expected Malcolm Brogdon to end up getting more than this on the market. I think there's a case that Indiana can sell this as if they got two first-round picks for Malcolm Brogdon because Aaron Naismith is a former lottery pick. This first round pick is likely going to convey this year in the first round. I I think it's a trade that fits what both teams have to sell at the end of the day in terms of narrative, um, or at least in terms of Indiana for Boston. I think it's just like a perfect addition to their uh, conglomeration of, you know, six foot five to six foot nine versatile skilled defenders who can dribble pass and shoot 
Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a couple things here. One, there was obviously a lot of hullabaloo about Boston not having a point guard, this, that, and the other. And, and while I never thought they needed a true point guard, just having the steady hand of Brogdon, his shooting, I mean, he's he's a really, really good shooter. You know, he's he's had a 50-40-90 yep. year before. Um, he's consistently in the high 30s or low 40s for his three-point shooting. Um, and and he, he can straight up play make. You know, you put the ball and he can play on the ball, off the ball. Obviously, he has experience playing against Giannis, uh, playing with Giannis and, and, and Middleton. So he can uh, play next to other high usage players. And then you can also help uh, have him run second units. So this is a much better fit than, than Schroeder, um, who was their previous backup point guard, in, in my opinion. And he kind of you could slot him with the starters if you need to. If someone gets hurt, um, they do have you know, injuries in uh, quite, they have injury prone players in Boston. They do. Um, But with, with Indiana, you know, I I think I'm not surprised that this is all they got for, for Brogdon. Um, He is on the the older side. Um, When it comes to his career, there was three years left on his contract as well, which is not terribly appealing for a player who's missed a huge chunk of games every season for like the last three or four years. And um, so I, I think, they in Indiana for the longest time has never leaned into a rebuild or asset accumulation, right? They've always kind of threaded the needle between being competitive and young and feisty and fun, but never, you know, I think, I guess it got into like some kind of contention when, when, when Paul George was there and then previously when yeah. Danny Granger was there. Sure. I, I think you could say that, but that, that was about their peak. And now they're finally leaning into this asset accumulation mode. And I think that's good because I think there's still other players on their roster who they can get, uh, a first or two for right, you know, Miles Turner is there. Um, I'm lower on him than than most people, but I, it's not unreasonable to think that they could net uh, a first out um, for for Turner at all. And I think um, Buddy Heald's an interesting expiring contract. No one's probably giving a first for Buddy, but he's an expiring. You know, maybe yeah. teams looking to shed money, look into that option. Maybe that's a February trade that happens, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, let's talk about Brogdon first. So. Malcolm Brogdon has played in the last, you know, let's say since 27 or 2017, 18 onward, 48 games, 64 games, 54 games, 56 games, 36 games. He consistently misses time. Uh, this was a concern pre-draft uh, that Malcolm Brogdon, it's why, you know, I think he fell to the second round. Uh, I had him as a first rounder that year. Uh, there, there were concerns uh, in regard to Malcolm's health and those concer- concerns persist uh, in terms of just him kind of missing time here and there when he's on the court. I think it's pretty undeniable that he is an impact player. Like I know, I know that he's had some inconsistent three point shooting numbers over the course of the last couple of years. I'm not real worried about that. I think that in Boston, you know, playing next to Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, he's going to get fed a pretty good diet of open catch and shoot jumpers. The thing that worries me 10% on this deal for Boston is the thing that we talk about often with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is that they can stagnate the offense a little bit right? The offense can get a little bit bogged down. Malcolm Brogdon is a clinical, I'm going to catch and I'm going to stop as opposed to like immediately catch and shoot, immediately catch and, you know, reverse the ball to the wing, right? I'm going to catch, I'm going to stop. I'm going to catch, I'm going to put the ball on the deck twice and then shoot, right? For him to be 
Ma- Malcolm's an incredibly smart human being, like incredibly smart human being. I remember talking to him pre-draft and I was like, holy shit, this guy should be like the senator of Virginia or Georgia or wh- whatever he wants to be whenever he you know leaves the NBA. Um, with Malcolm, he needs to figure out that he needs to move it on a little bit quicker, I think. Uh, in this particular role that he'll be playing in Boston – it's another versatile piece for the Celtics. They're going to be able to run out like Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown lineups with a center. They're going to be able to, you know, take one of those guys off the court and, you know, put a Grant Williams on the court. They're going to be able to put on, you know, a second center. They're going to be able to, there are just so many different functions that they're going to be able to put on the table now that, I think that this is a perfect fit for them to maintain versatility, flexibility. They gave up no one really that was in their rotation in the playoffs and Aaron Naismith and Daniel Tice. Uh, Tice did play some minutes. Naismith did play some minutes, but you wouldn't necessarily uh, call them full rotation guys. It's a home run for them. For Indiana, you know, Naismith is interesting if you think that his shooting, you know, is just purely real. I think he's a good shooter for sure. I worry about him being able to do anything else at an effective level on the court, but I think he'll shoot it. And at the end of the day, when you have Ben Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton as your backcourt of the future and you're trying to develop guys, I think that having shooters around is really valuable. It's why, like, if I was them, I would actually try to extend Miles Turner and like I think that he would be a guy that's young enough to grow with this core, grow with Tyrese Halliburton and Ben Matherin, while also really helping to foster their development because of how effective he is as a rim protector, how effective he is as a shooter. Uh, his ability to space the floor, I think, would be useful. So I I get it. I think it makes sense across the board. I think Indiana can sell it as two first-round picks. I think Boston gets another versatile chess piece that will help them in the playoffs. It's kind of kind of simple right yeah yeah i mean i think i I think you nailed it with uh what you said about brogdon needing to play a little bit faster if you'd watch some of those indiana teams uh and tj mcconnell will come into the game in place of brogdon and it looked like a completely different team uh in terms of how fast they got up and down the court and just how fast they were the pace they played within the half court and um you know it would would seem to drive nate mcmillan crazy uh at, at times where where it was like okay can we can we speed Brogdon up here a little bit but um yeah I mean I, I think you nailed it in, in terms of the trade structure it's it's pretty simple I think Boston um moved on from Neesmith at the right time I, I can't imagine his value was ever going to be higher um not that it was like terribly high in the first place but in terms of yeah. relative to his contract you know he, he's only two years in has two years of cost control left and Indiana gets uh two years to evaluate what what he is and if they want to keep him great if not then there there's really nothing lost for them in terms of investment okay next up big group of signings we will call this uh discussion anthony simons four years uh, i've got my big got my big notepad here of signings that i'm literally just going to read from Anthony Simons, four years, 100 million. Yusuf Nurkic, four years, 70 million. Uh, let's go Gary Payton, the second, three years, 28 million. Let's just talk about Portland to start here. Uh, I think that both, I think the Simons deal was always going to be the natural endpoint. I always thought this was going to be just like a large number. Um, 
I saw people saying 480 is an expectation. I mean, if if the number was going only going to be 480, Detroit absolutely unequivocally should have used the cap space they had to try and do that. Um, use of Nurkic at 470, and look, I think a big part of this is that we don't have the details on a lot of these deals. Oftentimes, details come out a little bit later because agencies are the ones that end up giving these deals to reporters. They're often the most favorable looking for the player. Uh, I would imagine um, uh, this is a pure speculation thing on my part. I've not seen a report on this. I'm guessing that there's probably some protection on the fourth year with Yusuf Nurkic where it's non-guaranteed or it's a team option or something like that. And then apparently we do have reporting that the Gary Payton deal three years, 28 million is fully guaranteed. So I I think that these deals make sense for Portland. I think they're going to be way tougher to play next year. Anthony Simons is a really good player. I think that getting someone like Gary Payton to pair with Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard to put on the ball, maybe allow those guys to take a bit of a break sometimes off the ball. It's helpful. Uh, Yeah. all, All across the board. These are the signings that made sense for Portland and they are now in position uh, a little bit better than they were last year to maybe get back to the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think with Portland, obviously the guaranteed structures of these deals is, is going to play a role. But I think agents realize like, hey, there's Damian Lillard here and he wants to win. He doesn't want to wait on a slow rebuild. Um, he's going to lock in his ex- extension and just kind of using the urgency there with what what Dame wants to accomplish with the team, it's pretty easy to apply pressure on the Trailblazers. Be like, oh well, if you want my client, then you know, give them all of this money. And uh, I think it's always more expensive to retain one of your own than it is uh, for when you know an external team is is uh, is signing someone. So with Anthony Simons, I always expected their agent to really put apply the pressure there. And at the end of the day. Uh, Portland's not a team that's going to be a cap space team and attract a ton of free agents. So if you're building a good roster around Dame and you still got your high upside pick in Jaden Sharp, um, I'm I'm okay with what they did. You know, I don't I don't think they're a contender by any means. Um, and and the Jeremy Grant contract negotiations when they come up are going to be fascinating because that's another one where I can totally see the agent being like, "Hey, give us a max or or right. something close to it." Um, but, you know, uh, Portland may just also be satisfied with being a good team and, and putting out a good product year after year. And, and I think there is value in that. I, I really do think, you know, uh, how many teams like, like Sacramento or Minnesota would have traded places with that kind of team for years. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think it's easy to kind of like pick nits. It's like, oh, you paid this guy way too much. And it's like, yeah, you know, they did. I just I don't think there's any of those like Evan Turner's or or. Um, Myers Leonard's on their contra- on their books anymore, so yeah. I don't think any of these new contracts are, are like that. And again, the there is there is a new TV deal coming, and so yeah, um, yeah. if you're go- if you're going to lock into Dame and and his his extension at that level, then you're already willing to contribute a significant amount of your cap space to a single player. Then cool, lean into it, um, sign the players you think are going to fit and make your team good. Yeah. I worry a little bit about, depending on what the structure of that Nurkic deal looks like, Right, that could be one that goes poorly ah. just because Yusuf has struggled to stay healthy. Uh, and again, seven-footers, you know, aging concerns me just in general, especially ones that are uh, enormous and have that kind of frame. Uh, Nurkic is a great player who's worth that contract. It's just like, 
I have concerns, you know, it's longer and that could be a bit of a worry. I, I, I'd be pretty surprised if there wasn't any kind of like injury protection or like games played triggers or something like that, that, that sort of um, protects the, the trailblazers in event where, where Nurkish isn't fully healthy for the whole, for the whole contract. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Knicks. Jalen Brunson, four years, 105 million. Again, these numbers I feel like are so fluid in terms of what the exact number is going to be. Let's estimate four years, 105 million, because I think that's what Chris Haynes reported. And Chris has been on top of this from the jump with Jalen Brunson. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, four years, 60 million. Sure. Uh, Look, we talked a little bit about what the fit of Jalen Brunson is. I'm good with it because I think that at the end of the day, signing Jalen Brunson to be your number two or number three makes you more attractive when it comes to going out and acquiring the number one guy, right? And obviously there's just this long track record of family ties between the Brunson family and the Rose family. Great, cool. Uh, For me, like that's why like – I know that people are going to complain about tampering with this, right? With like, oh, did the Knicks tamper? I don't really think it is. Like when you have this pre-existing relationship between the, these two families that is so close and like Rick Brunson has known Leon Rose for 30 years. Like I just don't, I don't see it that way, I guess, personally. And I'm sorry to Mavericks fans. Like, I know that that sucks. And I know that it sucks that you just lost this, you know, great player who helped lead you to the Western Conference Finals. And you have every right to be disappointed about that. But I just, I I don't know. Like, to me, this is such a unique situation, maybe is the way to put it. Uh, that it, it's just so rare. I know that the NBA is incestuous in terms of relationships and nepotistic in many ways, but this this one's even more like weird to me in that regard. Um, where do you fall on the Brunson deal, though? I I think I am more forgiving in this case. One, the Knicks like are always com- in conversation about these big free agents and stars and whatnot, and they always kind of get left at the altar. And being able to finally land a guy that you had like zoned in on from day one, I think that's that's important. And also, like you said, just kind of building a team for for the next guy to come in. I think the Knicks have one job: is to display competence over um, even just a mildly short period of time. It doesn't have to be like five years of competence. I think. Their market still has weight. I think their market still has power. They just got to display that they are a stable and good team. And it seemed like they were on that track prior to prior to last year. You know, they had, when they made the playoffs and then Julius Randle had, had that great year. But um, it, it's not too late to write that ship. And it seems like they're definitely taking steps to, to try to do so. And, and with Brunson, you know, he's a, he's a really good player. He's one of the better rim pressure guards uh, in the league when it comes to, to driving. Um, he's improving every single year uh, as a shot maker. And, and so those type of guards are, are pricey. And you look at the starting point guard market two, two to three years ago, I was talking with some executives and they were like, yeah, uh, it was actually, we were discussing um, Terry Rozier's restricted free agency coming restricted free agents prior to before he got like his other deal um and they were like starting point guards like the going rate like you just look at all of them it's like 19 to 20 million dollars and that was like a few years ago right obviously Rozier signed a deal that was around like 19 18 million dollars i believe um, he has 358 if i remember correctly the first one with just under that 20 million mark um 
And and so now, obviously, the cap's gone up since that time, and, and guards have become increasingly more valuable because once a team gets a good starting caliber guard, they do not let them go, right? And and that's what Brunson is, and I'm okay paying for that kind of player. I'm, I'm less okay pay, investing um, that kind of money in, like, a big uh, or, or or other one position players, but when you have a play creating guard who can score at all three levels, um, I'm I'm okay with that. So, my one concern here with this deal, I mean, look, it, it's a big number. I think the number is probably slightly more than what he's worth. The TV right. deal is going to go up. It almost doesn't matter to me. Their books are clean enough to where I think you can make this work. You can finagle the books, right? Mitchell Robinson is not a floor spacer at all. He takes every shot at the basket. Julius Randle, not really a floor spacer, despite the 40% mark from three in 2021. Teams just don't really guard him out there. RJ Barrett, more of a guard who's trying to attack, get downhill to his left hand, get to the basket. Like His success this past like second half of the year was predicated upon driving to the rim, getting downhill, doing you know all of that stuff uh, off of dribble handoffs, getting to his left hand, and just attacking. What you just said is that Jalen Bronson, and you're right, is one of the best rim-pressuring guards in the league. It's a lot of rim pressure and not right. a ton of floor spacing. And I have a little bit of concern. Like, if I was them, I'd be trying to move uh, Julius Randle. And I don't, yes. frankly, know that I love the Mitchell Robinson fit with R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson. I love the idea of a Brunson-Barrett combination in the backcourt. I don't love that combination in conjunction with the Knicks' current front court, And both of those guys, I think, are on movable deals as much as everyone complains about Julius Randle's like, contract and the fact that they extended him. That is an eminently movable contract i think yeah i like, mean th- there's been worse deals that have been moved yeah. you know we've we've seen the russell westbrook contract get traded multiple times potentially again too i mean uh, th- different different situation different caliber player i get it um i'm with you though my caveat is is they gotta move randall um sooner rather than later and and start filling in those spots with, with other players shooting uh specifically i uh, like to see quickly get more minutes like to see grimes get more minutes um, Toppin, uh, maybe he can um, find himself as a floor spacer and, and become consistent from behind the arc like that. That can get very interesting to me. And if you do the right kind of construct there, the the Mitchell Robinson lack of floor spacing gets less worrisome for me because you can have the the vertical rim roller, the high screen and roller, that kind of stuff. You can you can make a workable offense around that. But yes, I, I, I'm with you. Like Randall, I feel like you got to move on from him. Yeah. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are having an eminently normal offseason. A very <laughs> average good offseason uh, is the way that I've seen Mike Levin phrase it. And I think that is dead on. Uh, they signed or they're planning on signing PJ Tucker, it seems like, to a three year, $30 million deal once the moratorium ends. Uh, they're going to sign Daniel House. They're getting the band back together from, you know, Daryl Morey's days in Houston, obviously. Uh, they've signed Travell and Queen, who was one of the best players in the G League this past year. I think that's actually a really sneaky good signing. Um, would not surprise me at all if he ends up in their, like, back into their rotation at the end of the day. Did they sign someone else? Am I missing someone on my list? Uh, PJ Tucker got PJ Tucker. Oh, sorry, uh, Daniel House. Did you mention him? Got Daniel House. Yep, okay. we're 
Three of them. They got they signed three good wings. That's where we're at. Normal good offseason for the Philadelphia 76ers. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, it sounds like Darren Moore is getting the band back together. I mean, how far away are we from an Eric Gordon trade? That's what I'm curious about. Um, you know, maybe part of this is like, okay, trying to make James Harden feel more like at home and, and you can re, you know, recover some of the, the, the old bounce and juice that he had, but it's, it's pretty funny, uh, to see sort of like relationships between executives and players and how they pan out across, um, multiple franchises. Obviously, you know, we're well aware of, of like, you know, who were the Tom Thibodeau guys, you know, as soon as Tom Thibodeau enters the franchise, you know, what's about to follow. Todd Gibson is going to be on that team at some point. Uh, Derek Gross is going to be on that team at some point. And so with Daryl Morey, it's, it's, it's funny that, you know, PJ Tucker is who they had locked in on, which a three-year deal. uh, Did they release a guarantee structure on that? Because if that's fully guaranteed, that's a little bit scary to me. Um, Yeah. PJ's a bit older. Yeah. He's, 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 I mean, really really good at what he does but i think at certain points especially deep in playoff games like it's it's tough to keep giving him those like that high of minutes i think milwaukee kind of like found that out when when he was there it's like okay like pj tucker is good but like we we got to take it easy in how many minutes we give him um and and will house i mean I'm so I'm curious what they're going to do with with Tybal and what they're going to do with Corkmaz, um, and yeah. if if those are players potentially on the move, and uh, and I think if they could trade for Eric Gordon, I assume one or two of them might be in that deal. Um, but you know this idea of like we have this core of Maxi, who is one of those rim pressure guards, um, Harden, who is also a, a tremendous driver. Maybe he can. Um, find some of his his um, burst back, but if not, maybe he's taking more of a playmaking role. And then you're your MVP level player in, in Joel Embiid. And so, what do we want to surround them with? Well, they talked about not having enough dogs. Well, Embiid talked about that, right? And yeah. and yeah. and they they went out and got some dogs. So so seems like they're rectifying that. Um, I don't I don't mind it. I'm just I think there's just a lot invested in. Uh, in, in James Harden there and 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 PJ Tucker's um, legs, um, so we'll 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 see how that works out. But on the on paper, like they just look so good because like Joel Embiid is Joel Embiid. He's what he was Sorry. what the second best player of the like, like third best player, whatever. I mean, he's amazing, amazing player. Um, uh, there's still the Tobias Harris question to answer. Like I don't know what they're gonna do about that, but they they seem like they're gonna be a good team. I just. I'm so curious to see what happens in the playoffs when, when the lights are the brightest. Like, what which James Harden are we getting? Um, you know, what are we getting out of some of the other players? I, I don't know. Okay. Let's go to the Tyus Jones deal. Two years, thirty million. It looks like that number is uh, great signing for Memphis. I think it's a great deal for Tyus as well. He's going to be able to hit the market again at like 27, 28 years old. Uh, it, it's a deal across the board that I think makes sense. They needed to sign insurance because it seems like John ja Morant is going to miss you know ten to twenty games every year. Uh, Tyus Jones, this team was phenomenal when Tyus Jones ran the show this past season. You keep that institutional knowledge. You keep that uh, chemistry together. And Tyus gets paid at a number that I think is commensurate with what his value is. And now he gets to re-hit 
the free agency market after two more years of value for a really good team in the Memphis Grizzlies. Across the board, I just think this is like an incredibly, incredibly uh, smart move. Well, I actually thought it was a steal um, because if I was Tyus and I was his agent, I would have been looking for a starting role somewhere. And I know the starting role could have got him something like $20 a year. Uh, And I think he's absolutely capable of it because you look at the Grizzlies and you look at their record and you basically like, hey, when I was the starting point guard, we were 25 and three or whatever that record was. Um, Right. They had this unbelievable record and and they played well in the playoffs, too, when when, when Tyus was starting. And so to have him locked in for at that reasonable of a price, it's a very movable contract. Every team in the league would love to have him on their team. Um, And for Tyus himself, I like taking the shorter term deal and entering free agency again, um, sort of being able to bet on yourself. And maybe there is a starter role that ends up opening up in two years that that has a little bit of a cleaner fit because it seemed like at this time the Knicks were honed in on Jalen Brunson and um, the Wizards were were like, okay, well, we don't really know what we're doing with our point guard. Let's go get Monty Morris. And once once those two like big suitors went away, um, I think that market dwindled and it was smart of him and his agents are like okay let's just lock in this two-year deal it's a nice pay raise from what he was getting um and he gets to stay in a really good situation like you said like it's probably a good chance that he's going to end up starting a a number of games anyway um due to ja ja well and and he plays well on the court with ja at the same time like they play really well together Uh, i i just don't think there was a starting role out there within this free agency market that was going to pay him nearly this level. Like it was right. going to be mid-level exception money, probably, if he wanted to try and get a starting role. But now he essentially gets two years, 30 million instead of three years, 30 million. Like that's enormous. Like he's going to be able to hit the market in a year, make, you know, a boatload of money when, you know, he would have been stuck under contract for that third year, making the same amount of money. So I, I think that you, I think he basically had, if the deal was two years, 30 to stay in Memphis, be jazz, you know, understudy or three years, 30, be a starter somewhere. I think he had to take the two years, 30 at the end yeah. of the day, because it, it just, it, the, the difference there financially is enormous. Um, Milwaukee, Bobby Portis, four years, 49 million, I believe. Joe Ingles, one year, six million. Uh, believe that they might have done one other thing. One other thing, as I'm talking, I will look it up. But those two deals just make a lot of sense to me. Bobby Portis took a discount to stay there to get early bird rights last year. They then pay him the max they can pay him under those early bird rights. Joe Ingles is the perfect fit for this team if Joe Ingles is healthy. Uh, you know, Joe is obviously recovering from a torn ACL. I hope Joe, along with me tonight, is watching the Melbourne Vixens. We know that Renee, his wife, used to play for the Melbourne Vixens. Shout out Joe Ingles. Shout out Renee Ingles, CEO of their household. Uh, I think it's a perfect fit, though. Like Joe Ingles is, is such an incredible shooter. He can run ball screens. You know, he plays well with Drew Holiday. Plays well off the ball from Drew Holiday. Like, th- there's just a number of ways that this makes sense. It just all depends on Joe Ingles being healthy, getting his mobility back. Yeah, so I think the most important thing with regards to Bucks, and I, I, I want to lump um, Marjan Bochamp into their acquisitions as well, because yeah. not every team reaches the title contender status and is content on paying the tax over and over again. And, and I think the Bucks' willingness, and I think there were questions about that like years ago, right? 
now they're like, okay, we have Giannis and Tentacumpo. We will do what it takes to be good. Um, so paying Bobby Portis those full early bird rights, um, that four-year deal is a commitment, right? Holding on to the 24th pick, I have good intel that that they could have traded out of there, right? They could have traded into yeah. – and, and I can confirm picks. that. Yeah. yeah. And and, and choosing to take on a guaranteed contract there um, instead of the smaller rookie min contracts with the with the second round picks. Those are important commitments. And as long as ownership continues to invest there, you have to feel good about um you have to feel good about it if you're a Bucks fan. So so I think that's that's the biggest win for me. As far as the players they sign, specifically Joe Ingles, um, someone else on their podcast said it like they'll basically treat it as like a deadline you know, deadline acquisition. And I thought that was a really yeah. good way to look, look at it. It's like, cool. Yeah. You get him in the system and, 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 you know, when we come, come February or come March, whenever he's ready for the playoff stretch, that's, that's who you're, you're bringing in. And you're absolutely right. In terms of the fit, Joe is an incredibly smart player. They'll be able to play him at pretty much whatever position. And I think one of the things you notice when Middleton went down last year is um, again, just the lack of uh, offensive creation um, on that team. Uh, in the half court specifically. And, and I think Joe helps alleviate a lot of those pressure points as a connector and a creator. So Golden State now has brought back Kevon Looney, three years, 25 million. Uh, to replace Gary Payton, they have brought in Dante DiVincenzo on a four-year, $9 million deal that is, I believe, essentially like a one-year, $4 million deal because he has a player option on year two. If Dante plays as well as what he has shown in the past for Milwaukee, for instance, uh, you would hope that he ends up, you know, playing well, exceeding his value, going elsewhere. Uh, Dante's market, I think, was probably a bit more muted than what people think. Uh, you know, this is a guy that has had some pretty substantial injury questions here over the last, you know, couple of years at this point. And I don't know that the enormous payday was there for him. Uh, and it, I would imagine that it's the same reason that Milwaukee traded him at the deadline instead of paying him. We just talked about the fact that Milwaukee is willing to pay guys. Uh, to me, it seems like uh, they moved him to avoid paying him. And now Sacramento declined his qualifying offer uh, as opposed to paying him. So, it seems like the market was a bit more muted for Dante than what the general consensus would indicate. I love this signing for Golden State, though, as an energy guy off the bench who can shoot, who can provide defensive pressure at the point of attack and play really, really high level. Yeah, this is probably one of the best contexts for him to go to to re-up his value. Um, coming off of the injury that he had in Milwaukee, Hasn't been quite the same um, as a shooter or as a finisher. I think his finishing at the rim has kind of like decreased uh, on a year-to-year basis. And so playing next to three flamethrowers um, does wonders for your, your finishing, uh, especially right. especially in the system that they have as well um, that generates a lot of clean looks at the rim. And, and, and yeah, just adding another versatile, versatile defender, I like that. In terms of his, his value, I'm so curious what the medicals say. Um, because now that's two teams that have effectively moved on um, pretty quickly and uh, in, in when they had the opportunity to retain him. And, and I think what happens when the qualifying offer is pulled uh, or, or not tendered, like those guys have 
very very limited values. Uh, um, like in in some, it's not surprising to see him like take. Uh, what well, did he, he did he take more than he took uh, part of the taxpayer MLE right? It was more than the minimum, but not the full taxpayer MLE. It's not the full taxpayer MLE. That's right. Right. So yeah, I would imagine the, they're probably using that part to sign Ryan Rollins because yeah. Uh, Bob Myers was pretty clear at their press conference that they see Myers as a guarantee guy, not a two-way guy. So I would imagine that the way that's going to work is Dante took four million or so. They're going to sign Ryan Rollins to a minimum like three three year deal probably yeah. uh, to get that extra year of team value, and then they'll have what like maybe what is it like a million million two left over something yeah. like that, uh, yeah. and they maybe sign like another minimum guy because what they who who else they take in the draft they took um uh gui santos yeah gui santos gui santos is apparently playing really well as we're talking right now in summer league uh according to john hollinger i I have not watched a minute of this but (laughs) you know who knows right uh but i would imagine they're gonna sign rollins with the other part of the mle i would imagine that you know maybe dante they did like a descending scale value contract where maybe it's 4.8 4.8 million and then they're going to sign Dante to or sign Ryan Rollins like 1 million a year, 1.1 million a year. And it's going to use most of the MLE. We'll see. Right. I, I think right. that golden state situation is a little bit different because they're trying to save every dollar possible. Uh, every where dollar maybe counts they, is like $15. I mean, you know, it's right. Crazy. So like maybe, maybe they're doing things a little bit differently. Um, okay. Next up we have got, the Raptors retaining Chris Boucher and Thad Young. Chris Boucher, fine deal. Thad Young, fine deal. I, all of this makes sense for me in terms of they need depth. Both those guys bring depth. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've been quiet, and I think we both know why they've been quiet. Uh, get into that portion uh, later on in the podcast, definitely sussing out the, the trade market for some players. I'm curious – to see, um, you know, the the big chatter around like Raptors media and the Raptors fan base is like, we, we got to add big man death. And, and, and you know, yeah. bringing back Chris Boucher and, and stuff like helps, but like, is is that where they draw the line? Are they are they going to try to get into the eight and sweepstakes at any point if, let's say, right. they don't succeed with the Kevin Durant's uh, sweepstakes? Are they going to try and trade for Miles Turner? You know, are they there? Um, Jakob Pertle might be available, who I think would be like a really good fit. Is it going to be like a return of Jakob there? Um, you know, I think there's a number of options that, that Masai has, but I, I think for good reason, those uh, everything's on hold. <laughs> there's a big fish. That's, that's a fascinating idea. I wonder if you could do something like San Antonio moves. I, look, San Antonio has enough cap space to where I think they can get pretty close to just maxing Aiton, right, mm-hmm. if they want to, mm-hmm. um, and just forcing Phoenix's hand as opposed to trying to negotiate a sign-and-trade. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the avenue is maybe you do like a three-team sign-and-trade where you move Jakob to Toronto, you move you know a couple of those young – maybe it's a four-team sign-and-trade where you move a couple of – You've eight to San Antonio, Jakob to Toronto, um, a couple of those younger players that they just drafted, like Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, to Brooklyn, and you know, along with Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson and whatever else Brooklyn wants, and then you move Kevin Durant to Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, I mean that that it definitely seems to be that like 
Brooklyn wants Phoenix to go get assets elsewhere. And, and that would be a pathway for sure uh, to get some of those assets. So, I mean, I think the Spurs are uh, one of the few teams with cap space remaining and they remain a wild card for, for that reason. If you're the problem with that deal is if you're San Antonio, do you move Malachi Brandon, Blake Wesley and Jakob Pertle for DeAndre Ayton? I wouldn't. I mean, I don't see the rush for them. They just moved off of DeJounte Murray. If they still have Murray on the team, I would be like, okay, that sounds interesting. I can build something with yeah. Murray and, and Aiton. But it seems to me that they're um, leaning into this, uh, this like rebuild, so to speak. And and you like have all of these like ex assistant coaches that used to work under Pop are now coming back to work uh, with the Spurs. So you're like wondering, is this is this like the retirement tour? Is this when like all the like strange relatives come back to see what's going to happen with the estate and like who's going to take over? Like right. what's, what's going on there? Um, right. And so I think, you know, it, given the direction they're moving in with uh, with the DeJounte Murray trade, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to then just move off of all these young players you just acquired to go get um, Aiton. Uh, so I, I would be pretty, pretty surprised if that was the pathway for them. I'm like trying to come up. Maybe it's like, so Toronto obviously has to give up something to get Jakob Pertl. Maybe it's like a first rounder from Toronto down yeah. to San Antonio to make up for the 25th overall maybe, maybe, pick. Maybe you like, cause you don't really have to like match salaries. Like you could send a bigger salary uh, to San Antonio cause they can absorb it. But I'm trying to like, I'm looking at their books right now. I don't know who the bigger salary would be. I mean, I guess you could like make something with precious and like Malachi Flynn and whatnot and cobble together. Cause Jakob Pertl doesn't make that much money. So it's like pretty easy to cobble, cobble together salary. That is his, his range. Yeah. Maybe it's like precious and a first, God, yeah, no, that's too much for Pirtle, though. Like, I like Jakob, but like Precious in a first is too much for Pirtle. Um, you're not doing that. Like, if you gave up a first for Pirtle, like, I feel like you're pretty happy. So maybe it's just like a first for Pirtle, and then Phoenix maybe like a fake first, first right? Antonio. So it's like a top twenty protecting yeah. first that turns into two seconds the next year. So you can say, oh, I got a first, but it's not. You know, you really got two seconds. Yeah. I, I'm now intrigued by this weird four-team crazy construction that I've like made up off the top of my head. Could be uh, something. I don't. I don't even think it makes sense. But uh, I'm just like you know coming up with bullshit ideas. We'll talk about Kevin later. Uh, okay. Let's see. We've got Lakers signing Lonnie Walker and Troy Brown. It seems like they're are probably going to end up with Kyrie. Uh, I liked the idea of Lonnie Walker a lot more when I thought it was a minimum deal as opposed to the full taxpayer MLE. Uh, that's a large number for Lonnie based off of what he's seen, what we've seen from Lonnie so far. I see him more as like a rehabilitation project than, uh, you know, you use this singular asset that you get. Have, have they signed a non-clutch client? this 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 summer um no i mean i'm with you in the sense that they had one pathway to sign uh one of the more like impact players uh in free agency and that was their taxpayer mle and they committed all of that to lonnie walker um interesting gamble uh obviously they couldn't afford malik monk um and so so monk going to to sacramento um, I guess they thought that Lonnie Walker can give them a fraction of what Monk's giving or something similar, maybe more more upside on the defensive end there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is is Lonnie Walker better than Austin Reeves? I'm not 100% sure of that, put it that way. Yeah, and so it's... Like it's last moved. year, he was not. That is, like, I can right. answer that for sure. 
I think there is a case that Lonnie probably has a bit more upside because he's more athletic and uh, he can. He's a really good spot up shooter uh, at times. Not last year. <laughs> um, at times. So conditionally last year austin reeves was much better maybe you can make a case that lonnie is a little bit better in terms of upside yeah so it's i think these moves i think the one i do like is is uh juan toscano anderson that's that's a good pickup for them that's That's a a great pickup yeah yeah uh that that's gonna bring a lot of energy for them but you know if they end up getting Kyrie, like all of this stuff is moot theoretically right if if those big three are playing then then that's those three are going to make it work with pretty much any lineup that, that you can put out there. You just don't want to have like completely negative players. So um, yeah. yeah, if they get Kyrie, they'll, they'll be fine. If they don't get Kyrie, then super sketchy, super, super sketchy. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's buzz through some younger guys. Mo Bamba back to Orlando, two years, 20 million. I was surprised that Mo wanted to do this, I guess is where I'm at. Like, isn't it more valuable? Like they pulled the qualifying offer, obviously. And I think that that's why that wasn't on the table. Like if I was Mo, I'd rather just sign the qualifying offer than this, but that wasn't on the table. It seems like, uh, I don't think, I don't think Orlando is the place where Mo Bamba is going to actualize his value, uh, and like create the most long-term value for himself. So this was a surprise to me. Well, the, now this reminds me of a f- part we forgot to talk about is it seemed someone, I think it was Mark Stein or someone else reported previously that like consider Orlando amongst like the suitors for Isaiah Hardenstein. And, and I think that was part of the reasoning maybe why they yanked the the qualifying offer. Mm. I think the other part was if you yank the qualifying offer, his cap hold is a lot lower and they have a lot more cap space and you can bring right. him back at a lower number. So he, and then yes, the number they're bringing him back is a lot lower than his cap hold. But if Hardenstein, you know, I, I, I like the idea of Hardenstein in Orlando and I actually like him on the Knicks. That's, that's a good pickup. And that, yeah. Brings it back. To we forgot to mention this earlier when we talked about the Knicks, obviously. Right. And, and you know, that brings it back to like, okay, well, you just committed money to Hardenstein and then there's Mitch Robinson. So what are you doing there? But either way, good player, good signing for, for the Knicks there. Uh, with, with Bamba specifically, um, I was surprised, a little bit surprised he didn't have a, have a bigger market. You know, I thought Chicago would have uh, maybe done something with, with a part of their MLE, maybe more um, – Toronto, obviously, you know, it looks like they have different plans, but may, may have done something. I thought teams seeking a big man uh, would have been more interested in Bombo, who shot 38% from three um, on like four and a half attempts a game. It was an insignificant volume. And yeah. and I figured, hey, maybe this is a guy that will uh, make it out of Orlando and teams will talk themselves into being a second draft guy and in a different situation, they could bring something out from him. But I guess Orlando thought they needed to um, locked down a backup big behind Wendell and and Bamba thought that he couldn't get it, or I guess not thought, I guess there just wasn't a better deal for him. But I'm curious like what that next contract looks like because as you said, is this a spot where he's gonna get a lot of minutes? Because if if Paulo's gonna play a lot of the the three, four, whatever position, Franz can play a lot of three, four, whatever position, they also have um Jonathan Isaac, I guess technically is still harder. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Wendell Carter is playing the five. So, like, I'm just talking about, like, you can't – you're not going to try to play Wendell Carter at the four, in my opinion, because there's already too many, like, players to feed. Fours. And, yeah. Yeah. And so if you're not going to do that, then how many minutes are left over for Bamba? Like, 18 at most? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, 15? like – I'm guessing, like, 22, like, something like that. Yeah. Like, but I, I just – to me, like this was, and look, look, who the fuck am I to say, you know, don't take the most money that you have on the market, 
right? right. To me, this was a situation where I wonder if Mo could have taken a little bit less this year in the hopes of raising his value longer term. Uh, Like the the team that I threw out in the offseason preview stuff that I did was I wonder if Phoenix would have made sense if they wouldn't have retained DeAndre Ayton, which it seems yeah. like they weren't going to retain DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, you'd be sending Mo Bamba to a contender. He's a great rim protector. Like he can shoot. So you're opening up the court for Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like there's a number of things that make sense there to me. Uh, Mo Bamba is a lot more attractive to contenders at 6 million or 10 million than he is at, you know, 12 or I think, I think you got paid 11 here. Yeah. Uh, it was like 2.21. So yes, but the difference. Yeah. Or, or like Toronto, like it surprises me a little bit that Toronto wasn't maybe interested in, maybe they were, but like if you're, if you're Mo Bamba, wouldn't you rather be in Toronto where you have to beat out Ken Birch and Chris Boucher as opposed to having to beat out seemingly nine guys in well, Orlando? What I'm minutes? curious is, was there a one year deal on the table? Because I don't know what Orlando's doing with their cap space, but I think it's not much. And and they still, I believe, had bird rights on on Bamba. So they could have gone over the cap to sign it, which I don't think they're in the danger of going over the cap. I gotta like look look at it at the moment. I still think Well they they, they signed Gary Harris to a two year twenty six million dollar deal that I think has there's no way that doesn't have a team option on the end of it, right? That yeah. that's not me reporting. Like I can't imagine that that's not a favorable yeah. deal to Orlando. But they had they had rights um, on Harris too, so like they they could have done that. You know, what I, what I'm curious is if I was Bamba's agent, could I have gotten like a one year fifteen million dollar deal from Orlando? because uh, if you're like, I'm going back, cool, let me just take this like one payday and I hit free agency again and maybe there's a starting center spot somewhere there and it's like I'm not tying my future for two years to a role that might potentially decrease every single year as Wendell Carter gets gets better as um Chuma Kiki gets better you know as 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 Paul yeah, we didn't mention Chuma yeah yeah right and 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 so so and are there going to be moments where Paulo is going to play the five right I, I feel like Orlando's got the flexibility to try funky things. So if you just have so many players where they can they can look up and down and be like, maybe we want to try Jonathan Isaac at some minutes at the five, or maybe like you know, um, yes, yeah, so just look at those players who might get those minutes. And I don't know if I would lock myself into two years for that. Maybe maybe there's yeah. an unreported player option. Maybe yeah, totally. Like very plausible. If there's a um, player option, I think okay, cool. That's good for you. That that's a good. Great. You can get out of there if you need to. So, so the reason that a one-year 15 – we know that a one-year $15 million deal was not on the table is because they declined to offer him the qualifying offer. Like, theoretically, that could have just been that, right? Um, what was this? What what was his qualifying offer? Wasn't it like I mean, he was fifth overall 10? pick, so it was probably up around 10, you would think. 10? 10. Yeah. yeah, okay. So um, – look, I, I think Mo Bamba is good at basketball is why I – say all of this uh this does not have to do with the fact that like i am a mo bamba like hater i actually think he's good and i think he's i would like to see mo in a situation that makes a little bit more sense for where his game is right and i'm not sure that this is it personally like it's it's i i I worry that they don't have the kind of organizational investment into him because of all of the younger guys that are bigs. They have invested more money and more years into Wendell Carter. They've invested the number eight overall pick into Franz Wagner. They've invested the number five overall pick, uh, or they've invested number one overall pick into Paulo Bancaro. They've invested, uh, you know, a four year, $80 million deal into Jonathan Isaac. 
And now Mobamba is sitting here at two years, 20, like he's going to be the one that gets left on the sidelines here. What's anyone... what's Charlotte doing? Like, wouldn't he have fit in Charlotte? I know, I know they have Mark Williams, but if it's a two year deal, like. Yeah. And he, he could help more, you know, quickly, I would think. And I think Charlotte is in a bad situation now because yeah. of Miles Bridges. And yeah. uh, real quick, do not sign Miles Bridges. Like, no. look, I don't know what is going to play out with the legal system. We've seen enough from his partner posting images and posting a video of their son talking that teams need to at least allow this, allow this process to pay out or play out a little bit further as opposed to signing him. If it gets proven true, this dude should never play another NBA game very clearly. Uh, but at the very least, let this process play out. Do not sign miles bridges, uh, NBA teams like this. There is no excuse for this if you decide to give him real money at this point. Uh, based off of the information we have at hand, NBA teams maybe will say we have more information. If you're going to sign him, then you better publicize that information and showcase why you think everything that has been shown so far in the public sphere is bullshit. I find it hard to believe, but I please implore teams do not sign Miles Bridges at this point because – Based off the information that's out there, we at least need to let the process play out further, and he needs to prove his innocence, in my opinion, based off of that. The there was a report that they like completely pulled his qualifying offer, right? Like that's that's I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't. Yeah, I saw I saw it from Sportondo. Uh, I think Emiliano Carcia uh, reported it. I I don't know if that's true or not. So I, I don't yeah. want to necessarily. They should. On that they yet. absolutely should. They should. I mean, I think I'm completely with you on this. Like, there's no reason yeah. he should play a game in the NBA until the the legal stuff is is settled and and it's proven that he is, was innocent there. Yeah. No. We, we've he has been arrested. His partner has posted some very horrifying images and a horrifying video of their son speaking. Let you you can't sign this guy until we know more information. Um, and if he if it is shown that this happened, he should never play another NBA game again. Yeah, point blank. Never. Um, yeah, I mean, if if, if uh, Myers Leonard can be ousted for for what he did, uh, rightfully so, um, yeah. this is much worse. Yeah. Um, let's talk about fun things now. Marvin Bagley got a three year, thirty seven million dollar contract. <laughs> What happened there? <laughs> uh, that's a lot of bigs on the Detroit roster. That's that's my first reaction. You know, they have a Linux still there. Um, Isaiah Stewart still there. Bagley got Bagley got a bag. Um, Duran. I, I don't know how if they feel like, hey, this is going to be like our sixth man coming off the bench and just be like our energy big. And maybe there's situations where we can play him and Duran and Cade and all that together. Or you know, or maybe he's just insurance there. I'm not sure what the thought process is, but they seem to like him um, and, and they paid him and so good for them. Yep. Uh, this is an insane contract based off of what we've seen from Marvin Bagley so far. I look, I'm all for like making informed bets on young guys that are second draft guys. This is beyond, this is a, a report per reports. I think I saw someone say this is fully guaranteed three thirty seven across the board. Uh, Wow. That's an insane deal. That's that's exactly <laughs> what they gave, or like, not exactly, but that's roughly what they gave Olenek when they signed him, right? So the three-year 37. And and that was like a very funny signing to me, too, given where they were 
uh, last year. Like it was one of like the first five reported signings. It's like Detroit signing Kelly Olynyk for three thirty nine or three thirty eight. You're like, wait, what? Why? Um, and and yeah, they, they're continuing to add at Bigman. I I would be I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Olynyk was on his way to a contender or. Um, a different team that needs a big, or if Stewart was was, was on his way to a new um, new location as well. But Bagley, man, that's uh, I get maybe they again maybe that's maybe they, they feel he's going to be their sixth man and he's going to to lead their bench in scoring. Yeah, but, uh, Lou Dort got a five year, eighty seven million dollar deal. Wow, I'm interested to see what the protections are here. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything reported on that. Uh, I really like Lou Dort. This is a large number for me. Uh, He is a little bit farther off of being a valuable offensive player than what I think people think. There is a chance that this contract works out well if his shooting becomes what the trajectory says that his shooting has been. I know that he is a real worker. He is like someone that you want to bet on. Oklahoma city obviously has real flexibility moving forward here long-term with their cap situation. This is paying top of market for Lou Dort. Let's go with in terms of, uh, and and, um, the other part of this that I'm fascinated with is that Sam Presti at a press conference post draft said that they were planning on just like picking up his team option for this year. And then something changed. And I wonder why that changed uh, in general. This is a weird deal to me. So I think it's definitely an overpay. Um, but again, I keep going back to this this idea that there's going to be a cap jump. And yeah. having a player locked in for five years, that potentially gives you three years beyond the cap jump like when, the, when it's supposed to happen, maybe two. Um, I think you could you can have an argument that says OKC is not really going to be hyper competitive for like the next three years. Um, And so if you're not going to be hyper competitive, how much can you continue to launder your cap space uh, for picks? I mean, can they continue to do that for the next three years? I don't know. So if they felt like, Hey, this is a guy that our organization really values and we want to reward for his, um, his hard work and all of that, like that's this, I think that's how you build a culture and OKC is obviously like known like very well um, yeah. like for their culture. And, and, and so I think that's attractive for players, especially if we're a team that has a lot of draft picks and, 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 and incoming young players, I think that's sends a good message to agents. Um, and, and yeah, maybe in 2024 or 25 when the cap jumps and you're like, okay, well this is barely bigger than the MLE. And at that point we're looking to be a good team and, and, you know, Chet's along his way and then, Maybe uh, Shea's still there, and and some of these other players like you know Giddy's really good at that point. Yeah, maybe he is the exact kind of player you want on your roster, and and to to kind of fill in the cracks. But that's that's really like the only like positive uh, thinking I can come up with it. But I definitely think it's uh, an overpay, especially when you look at what Jayshon Tate just got. Yeah, I was literally just about to say that. Would you rather have Jayshon Tate or Lou Dort? Uh, at their contracts, Tate for sure. Even just as a player, like a point blank period player, that's tough. You know that, but, but that's the thing. Like point blank period as a player, like it's it's a question at the it's very a question. Least. It's not an easy yeah. easy answer. 
I think I would rather have Lou Dort. I think that, you know, he has a better chance to shoot long term. He's more I think willing. That it's, yeah. I think it's very close, though, yeah. in terms of their overall actual value. Um, Jay Sean Tate just got 322. And I think that's like, you know, it, you know, that'd be what, like a four year 40 or four year $31 million deal if you added a fourth year onto it. Right. Uh, I th- did I see it reported that that is a team option on the end of it as well? Potentially, oh, did it? if that—I mean—that's an absolute steal. If that's the case, I don't. Maybe I missed that. Um, I can look that up. But yeah, Jay Sean Tate—you know, three years, twenty-two million—I think is an unbelievable contract uh, across the board. There's just not not another way to put it. I think Houston did very, very well here. Completely agree. I mean, they they. I think it was a little bit of cleverness on Houston's part because they um, they declined his option, right? And that yeah. immediately made him a restricted free agent. But because they only had Which, early bird. By the way, this is exactly what uh, Oklahoma City did, but it's a slightly different situation for the reason that I think you're about to explain. Right. And so – because he only uh, they only had early bird rights on him, they were capped at the number they could actually give him. And so, like when you're at the negotiating table, it's a little bit different. You could be like, "Oh, here's the max that we can give you," and we're giving you like almost all of that, right? And whereas if you if they picked up the option, he still would have been restricted the following year, but they would have had full bird rights on that player. And they risk two things, in my opinion. They risk the ability for him to play himself into a much larger contract. And they also like go to the negotiating table and there's no like upper limit on what they can pay him. And the agent could be like, well, like you have you got bird rights on us. So like, why can't you give us $13 million, $14 million, whatever? Um, And so I think it was really shrewd on Houston's part to kind of like, you know, like, I don't know if that's exactly what they told, like, Jayshon Tate's agent um, and Jayshon Tate, but, like, just kind of, like, leverage this idea of, like, hey, we have, like, early bird lights. We have a finite amount of money that we can give you um, to what Bobby Portis just got, and and that's it. And so we'll give you a portion, you know, like, this is, like, this is the balance that we're negotiating with. Yeah, and to confirm, Kelly Eco over at The Athletic did report that that last year's a team option on the wow. team. Um, yeah, really it's, it's a no brainer for Houston. Uh, and for Jay Sean, like Jay Sean's a guy that had to come up through the mud. Like he had to come up through the NBL, uh, went undrafted, ends up here in the NBA. I get wanting to secure it, like just finishing yeah. up, make sure you get your $22 million, you know, make sure that you are set for life. I think that it's smart. Like he hadn't made a crazy amount of money in his career at this point. Um, Malik Monk, 220. Bruce Brown, 213. Ricky Rubio back to Cleveland for 318. Any of those stand out? I think all three of them are like pretty good deals on the face. Yeah, pretty, pretty standard. Um, Monk in, in Sacramento was like one of those deals that was done very early. So it seemed like they were keyed in on him uh, from the jump. And I'm very curious to see what they imagine his fit's going to be in terms of. Um, I you know I think you know you could play him next to to Fox you can play him next to um, Mitchell but that's very undersized backcourt uh, and so I'm so curious and then Sabonis at center already leaves you vulnerable uh, on the defensive side of things so I'm curious how they're going to to manage that and, uh, and they just traded for for Herder as well which I actually like the Herder trade um, yeah I'm, we should talk about that that was yeah. an awesome deal. 
I, I enjoy Herder as, as a player. I don't really think they gave up anything of consequence. Um, I don't know what the protections on the on the pick were, but I think they weren't like it was. I don't think it was an unprotected pick. Um, I, I find it bizarre that Atlanta seemed set on getting off of the Herder contract because yeah. I actually really like his fit with Trey Young and Dejounte Murray. The thing with Kevin is that Kevin struggles defensively when he's asked to be like the primary defender of a great player. Uh, he's actually pretty good as a secondary defender. I, I don't really get why Kevin Herter is not valuable. I think Kevin's actually really good at basketball. It's also, you know, you mentioned as a secondary defender, but he's also, I think, pretty solid as a secondary play creator too. Like you can put the yeah. bombs in and, and run ball screens for him. He doesn't have to be, you know, just a handoff guy. He doesn't have to be an off the screen shooter. Like he can, he's got some off the dribble game. And, and I think I enjoy that for, for Sacramento. I think it's a good fit with Sabonis. I think it's a good fit with, with Fox. Um, they are certainly continuing to add versatile wings who can shoot. Um, it's, it's, it's a good trade. I, I like that a lot more than like, you know, I, I enjoy, I, I think the monk signing is like value wise. Correct. I'm just, you know, skeptical about the defensive fit um, with, with their other backcourt, but Herder, like you could see them, you tell me they start Fox and Herder in the backcourt. Love that. That's a solid backcourt. Yeah. I agree. Like that, that would be what I would do for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really, really fun offensive team. Um, you know, obviously now you have Keegan Murray, who's like blowing up summer league right now as we're talking, apparently. <laughs> um, Justin Holiday, I guess that you can make the case that like he's a good three and D guy to play next to DeJounte Murray and um, Trey Young. Good Lord, my brain just broke. Uh, but I don't know. Like I, I would just I think I would have rather kept Herter. I, I think that I would have just much rather kept Kevin Herter at the end of the day. I guess that like maybe you do end up, uh, you know, recouping some of the first round, you know, pick value that you traded previously. Right. But I don't know. Um, not for me. I like the Bruce Brown deal. To, yeah, Sorry. it's a lottery protected pick, so it's not going to be crazy valuable. It's fine. Um, yeah. You know, Bruce Brown. I like that deal for Denver. Ricky Rubio was awesome this year for Cleveland. I totally get why they're bringing him back. Fascinated to see what Cleveland does with Colin Sexton. Fascinated to see where Colin Sexton ends up moving forward. Um, Matt, we obviously haven't mentioned all the max money that went out as well in terms of re-signings. We should just mention Devin Booker got max money. Carl Towns got max money. John Morant signed his deal. Darius Garland, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Nikola Jokic, and... Finally reported this morning, Zion Williamson is Zion Williamson, finally done. Williamson is the most interesting one of those to me, if only because we see we'll see what the protections are there. None of that has been reported yet. I can't imagine that that deal got done without some sort of like injury protection, etc. Right. My guess on that deal, um, slightly educated, but still a guess. Uh, is it's going to be five years straight with no player option. I think that's the big thing that the Pelicans uh, wanted to avoid, um, just so Mm -hmm. they would have more control over the Zion contract. And I think the injury protections, I wouldn't be surprised if they're much more limited um, because they conceded the player option. And so wouldn't be surprised if it's just like an exhibit exhibit three on Zion's foot. So if you re-injure your foot again, we're protected. But like, you know, if you miss games because you like 
broke a finger or like, you know, sprained the wrist or whatever, like you're not going to lose any money for that. So I, I, that's my anticipation. But when David Griffin did the Brandon Ingram negotiations, he held the structure of that contract pretty closely to his chest until the press conference uh, for when for, for the announcement of the contract. And at the press conference, he said, Brandon was so all the way in with us. He decided not to, um, uh, you know, he decided not to take a player option. And, and that's when that was announced. And I assume Griffin will do the same thing. I also think that if CAA had like won that negotiation, they would be parading it um, a little bit. You know, like if they got a fully guaranteed deal without injury, they would have like leaked it on their part. But um, who knows? You know, maybe there's like a really good relationship there. And they all both are like, okay, we won't say anything until it's time to. Okay. Now the Zion deal obviously plays into the potential of a Kevin Durant deal. So let's just transition into that. As I've placed the lower third, it's wild Kevin Durant speculation time. Uh, For the love of fuck, do not aggregate any of this. This is all us (laughs) just playing guessing games here. Cause look, the Phoenix Suns signed Josh Kogi. They have traded for Jock Lawndale. There is a world where I think you can make a case that maybe, possibly, what is going on in Phoenix is that they think they might be getting Kevin Durant. Are they preparing to lose a bunch of their depth and role players in, with these trades? Is that what you're asking? Well, they also signed Bismack Biombo earlier, and you've now acquired two centers to potentially maybe sort of kind of replace DeAndre. I don't think that Jock or um, Bismack, as much as I sneaky kind of like Jock and think he is an NBA player, uh, I don't think either of these guys are starting quality NBA centers. Uh, the Akogi one is interesting. Because that says to me that they are getting some depth in case a Kevin deal happens. I, it, it's weird because we saw the report earlier that they don't love the Phoenix Suns package. How much of that is just public posturing? How much of it is like just all bullshit? I don't know. Like I feel like so much of what's happening right now is bullshit. As I look up under my armpit here on this shirt and I see like um, deodorant <laughs> stains, like. <laughs> I absolutely think that the most sensible option for everyone here seems to be Phoenix because that's where Kevin wants to go. They have a real package that they can put on the table. It's just how much do the Nets really want to like fight this and try to get like the absolute best superstar they can. How much do other teams want to put on the table as well? Like, you know, the team that you cover, the New Orleans Pelicans. Do they want to put Brandon Ingram on the table? I don't know. Here's what I do want to say, though. I've seen a lot of speculation from, like, Toronto fans, for instance, would not trade Scotty Barnes. Uh, New Orleans fans would not want to trade Brandon Ingram. I get that Kevin Durant is 34 years old. I get that he's missed a bit of time recently. Kevin Durant is a top 10 player of all time. Kevin Durant is genuinely one of the probably three best scorers of all time. Uh, 
There is no sign of him slowing down. In fact, I would say that when he was on the court this year, he was the best player in the NBA. That is purely my opinion. Uh, he I think that was time. consensus up until March, right? Until he got hurt. He was like, oh, Kevin Durant, that's an MVP. That's the, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, yeah, like Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, but that didn't really stratify until, like, KD had those injuries and the Nets kind of took the turn that they did. This is genuinely going to acquire, like, when he is healthy, the best player on planet Earth, in my opinion. I think Kevin Durant, when he is healthy, is the best player on planet Earth at playing basketball. You give up what you need to give up to get Kevin Durant. He immediately makes you a title contender if you have anything else around him. The problem with the Brooklyn Nets this year is that they had literally nothing else around him because Kyrie was out and James Harden was a shell of himself for the first half of the year. If you have anything around Kevin Durant that is reasonably structurally sound, you are a title contender and you immediately trade whatever your best assets are for Kevin Durant. Because if you're New Orleans, if you're Toronto and you compare him with Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, if you're Phoenix and you compare him with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you immediately shoot to the top of the potential title rankings, whatever you want to call that. Point blank. That's where I fall on this. Like, do you fall differently on this? No, I'm 100% with you, and it's very interesting because I've been tweeting about this for the last few days ever since, you know, he, he requested a trade. And the amount of uh, backlash that I get for even suggesting that the Pelicans should pursue seriously this all-time great player and uh, current best player in the world. I mean, when he was coming off that Olympic run last summer and the way he dominated those Olympics, uh, was there any question who was the best player in the world? I mean, everything was like Kevin Durant. This guy is him. I I think Giannis. It was Giannis and him. We're the two, yeah, and, and, and I will happily concede that, right? So, like, Giannis, unbelievable. If people say he's the best player in the world, I concede that all day. Um, yeah. But, you know, just going back to, to KD here and the idea of that, hey, a team like New Orleans has an opportunity to acquire a player like that. Let's look at the history of those kind of players and what teams they've gone to. Let's look at the history of the New Orleans Pelicans and previously Hornets and have they gotten any of those players in via trade or free agency. And these players have a great deal amount of say. Like they had they they can dictate where they want to go. And the fact that Durant potentially might be willing to be open to come to New Orleans should blow your mind. And I think as a team, you should do whatever it yeah. takes to get him. Um, I am super curious, you know, I, I, they say they say the Phoenix Suns are perhaps the favorites. That's where he wants to go. I, for the life of me, I like to follow the money around. I like to follow the assets around. And I just think it's too difficult for Phoenix to make it happen unless KD puts his foot down and says, it's Phoenix, guys. It's Phoenix or bust. And, yeah. and at that point, you know, the Nets will do what they can to make it work. And they'll extract four picks and four swaps and Aiton and Bridges and all of that to make it work. But if KD is not putting his foot down, I can't realistically put Phoenix in the driver's seat of this conversation um, in terms of the assets they have available to trade, in terms of what their team is going to look like after that trade is done. Is KD going to be super excited to play with Jack Londale and Bismack Biombo and Josh Akogi? I mean, I know Devin Booker and Chris Paul are really good, but you take Mikel Bridges off that team, you take DeAndre Ayton off that team, where's the depth, right? And 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 what window do you have to con- to compete? Chris Paul is a walking injury concern. 
and 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 it seems that every year in the playoffs at some point he's going to get hurt and he's not going to be the player that he usually is and and how long is he going to be the player that he usually is i don't i don't know right um is that the wagon kd wants to to hitch himself to i'm i'm skeptical about that because ayton is um uh, a little bit difficult to accommodate because he is a he's asking for a max and because he's asking for a max and his previous salary was so low the base year compensation rules make the salary matching already a problem right and then if you sign and trade for Aiton, you're hard capping yourself uh, as the receiving team. And if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're making this Kyrie Russell Westbrook trade, you're going to be well over the hard cap. So, like, it's already another obstacle. In yeah, your but the way to avoid that is that you stretch Russell Westbrook's deal. Yeah. And then if you're if you're the Nets, you say, why would I do that? Like, why? Why do I have to accommodate myself just so you yeah. can get KD, you know? And um, so that the Lakers can get Kyrie. Right. Yeah. No, and, totally. and I'm saying, though, that, like, this is doable. Like, if they really wanted to make this work, like, absolutely. the base of your compensation stuff, like, you can get around it. Like You can get good. around it. Like like I said, if KD wanted to happen, like, they would make it happen. They would call in five teams if needed to, six teams if needed to, to find the right destinations and stretch the money, whatever. They would make it work, right? But if he's not doing that, then you look at the teams with the assets, and to me, I think Toronto's uh, in terms of like motivation and assets up there, right? Scotty Barnes, um, one of the best young players uh, in the league, definitely a blue chip asset that you can build a trade package around. It just depends if Brooklyn is looking for, hey, are we trying to be competitive next year? So are you taking on Gary Trent and OG and Nobi and, and some picks? And so you're getting three starter caliber players and you're going to be a good team around Ben Simmons. Um, is that the route you're taking or are you trying to bottom out? And if you're trying to bottom out, then you know, like, are you rerouting OG and Gary Trent for more picks somewhere? I think I think Toronto has very versatile and workable packages. Um, I, I do question the kind of, like, depth that Toronto would have left uh, if, if one of those trades were to materialize. You know, if you're including two uh, two to three of, of Scotty, um, OG, Gary, and Pascal, if you're including any, like, two to three of those combinations, like, it still leaves you pretty thin, in, in my opinion. Um, I don't love Toronto's bench there. But, I mean, it's a package. That's not Brooklyn's concern, right? If, if Toronto's in, yeah. Brooklyn doesn't care. Um, and then you look at New Orleans, who I think at, if at any moment they decide they want to win the bidding, they can't because they put Ingram on the table, they put Herb on the table, they put Trey on the table, they put all these picks on the table. Yeah. Between the combination of young players um, and picks and had just having the, the straight-up best player that – uh, a team could build a trade package around. Yeah. I think I don't think it should be arguable that Ingram is better than Aiton or, or Ingram is better than than than, than Scotty Barnes. The, the uh, only case would be Scotty. I, I think right. that there is a real case to be made that Scotty Barnes is a better asset than Brandon Ingram, if only because of the team control that Scotty Barnes has left on his deal. Yes, right. Brandon Ingram is a better player than Scotty Barnes right now. Brandon Ingram, for me, is like I, I think he's a top twenty player in the league, and I think he's like the most underrated player in the NBA. But I also am cognizant that he has three years left, and Scotty has eight years left, essentially, on the deal. And completely, depending on what you're looking for from an asset perspective, like you brought up before the show too, the Scotty and Ben Simmons uh, fit is perilous. Let's say, yeah. um, you know, it's <laughs> not an incredible ideal, but I, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's complicated. It's it, that I agree with you that the two best assets for sure 
that could be on the table here. And this comes from the fan essentially of like the fucking train conductor, Deandre Ayton hype train. Um, the two best assets on the table are Brandon Ingram and Scotty Barnes. Right. That's, that's what, that's why I said in the podcast with Alex that we recorded, um, yesterday that, or two days ago, I guess now that I thought new Orleans or he thought new Orleans and I thought Toronto were the two best teams. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Like, I think that those are the two. I'm, I'm with you. And I think it, it comes down to who sort of blinks first, right? Who puts their trump card on the table first? Because I think neither of those teams are going to put Scotty or Brandon on the table from the get go. They were they're going to try to make it work. Um, when you, when you, when you first approach Brooklyn, if you're New Orleans, you're probably offering salary and all of those Lakers picks, all of those Milwaukee picks, in addition to New Orleans' own picks that they, that they have, that they have full control of in the future. Plus their pick of young players, right? They, there is Dyson Daniels who they just drafted. There is Trey Murphy. There is Herb Jones. If you're New yeah. Orleans, you're wanting to bring in Kevin Durant to play with CJ, to play with Zion and to play with Brandon. That's your super team. Right. That's who you want. Um, and and so to me, it's like who's going to blink first? Who's going to put their trump card on the table first? And then what does the package look like uh, in terms of that trump card? So when the Anthony Davis negotiations were happening back when the Pelicans uh, had to trade him, when they were talking to Boston, Boston was the rival for for uh, the Lakers trade. Um, Boston was basically like, if you want Tatum, that's it. Like you're not getting any of those other picks. You're not getting Brown. You're not getting smart, all of that. Yeah. If you don't want Tatum, then it's like, okay, we can make something work around Brown um, and and uh, smart and, and the, like the Memphis pick that they have at that time, the Sacramento pick that they had at the time or whatever. Um, and at that time, if you remember, Brown wasn't Jalen Brown of today. It was the Jalen Brown who averaged like 12 points a game um, coming off a little bit of a down year. So it was like, oh, like, you know, like what is going to yeah. be Jalen Brown's trajectory? Like he has value, but like what is like his going to be his trajectory? And so um, I think it's similar in the sense where if like the Raptors are like, if you want Scotty, you're not getting these picks and everything. You, you're basically taking whatever we give you. And then same thing with like the Pelicans. If you want Brandon, you know, you're taking Devontae and, and Jackson and like yeah. and Garrett Temple. Like that's, that's your, that's your, your package and at that point you start wondering like okay like who are the really motivated teams to make this happen what are they willing to put on the table and i think you're right like you know i think new orleans doesn't have an insane amount of urgency to get this done in terms of like if they miss out on kevin durant it's okay they can lean back on their core and let things develop organically whereas phoenix i think would happily put four picks and four swaps on the table to to make it happen because he's kevin durant if you ask my personal opinion all of these teams should do whatever it takes to get Kevin Durant because yeah, it's Kevin I Durant. I mean, like, it's if Kevin I could play Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson together, I mean, I, yes, both of them carry a weight of injury concerns. I get it. But, like, who cares? Those guys are unstoppable when they're on the for, uh, on the court. And, like, on the same team, that's going to be insane. I would, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. No, I, I don't even think it's a – Look, I, I get I get that people get attached to their own players. I can tell you, general managers get attached to their own players. They get to know these guys on a personal level. They really like put it this way: most of the time, when a play when a team picks a player in the draft, it is because they were higher on that player than most other organizations were. So they are probably generally higher on that player than anyone else in the league and thus they have this real intense value uh attached to them in many ways right 
And then you throw in like getting to know these guys personally and like becoming attached to them in that regard. This isn't just like a fan thing where fans get attached to players. And then because of that, you know, they don't want to trade their favorite guy. Right. It happens inside teams. Like this isn't a, this is a thing that happens across the league. I've talked to like general managers about it before. I just think that's Kevin Durant. <laughs> it's Kevin Durant. Like, Kevin look, Durant. It's, it's like the most, it's the most, uh, surface level analysis on planet earth to just like keep repeating it's Kevin Durant, but like Kevin is so good at basketball that you don't need any other explanation. Like you watch this guy play basketball and you're just like, this is what basketball should look like for everyone. And it's impossible that this human being who is almost seven foot tall has this balance, has this shooting ability, has this uh, incredible bag of tricks to be able to score. I don't care that he's 34 years old. I don't care that he is like, what, he, what he's, he's is there that he's slowing down. Is he ever going to be able to stop shooting over the top of basically anyone that's in front of him? I mean, like the, the argument would be like, Oh, he's getting slower on his first step. Oh, uh, I don't think that he is at, at not at least like, I disagree. He's not the person he was at 25, but he still can score 30 points a game on almost 50, 40, 90. Like he, he's Kevin Durant. <laughs> It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I, look, I get it that people are attached to their guys in the league and, you know, from fan bases, but you have a chance to get one of the 10 best players of all time who is still at his ceiling uh, in terms of what his value is. And look, if you want to say he's one of the 15 best players of all time, whatever. I personally can't get past 15, but uh, if you want to say, you know, if you want to say 15 as opposed to 10, whatever. That's the strata we're talking about with this guy. He is unbelievable, and I just can't fucking fathom being like, do you know how excited those fans would be as soon as they got Kevin Durant? Like, there'd be the momentary sadness of, oh, man, we lost Scotty Barnes, right? Scotty's so good, and I love Scotty Barnes. I think he's great. I think he has a chance to be, like, a you know seven-time All-Star, whatever you want to say, right? As soon as they watched Kevin Durant play basketball with like Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, it'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. This this rules. <laughs> like, this is amazing. We have Kevin Durant. I uh, think like Toronto with- fans should be used to like like they, when they made the Kawhi trade, like I, I don't know if there was like a bigger emotional attachment than than DeMar DeRozan, like in terms totally. of like. Like yeah. what he meant to Kyle Lowry, what he meant. You know, Kyle Lowry did talk to Masai for how long? You know, you know, like it's yeah. it's it's in to be able to like turn your nose up at Kevin Durant, like that's astounding to me. Like, he, I, well, I it's it's it, it has to do with Kevin's online persona, I think, in many cases, and I don't give a shit about that. Like, honestly, like, I kind <laughs> of like him. Whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I like I like Kevin. What, I'm all for what, it. What man. I don't agree with is people painting him as sort of like a malcontent uh, on a team. Um, I don't understand. I mean, I understand like superstars like. Are, are a little bit more quote unquote difficult to deal with in terms of like their day to day, like demands and, and attention that they need or whatever. But like this idea that like Brooklyn collapsed and, and KD like played a role in that, like I, I think that's ridiculous. Like he went there to play with his friend in, in Kyrie and then he got his other friend in James and he was so committed. He was the one of the three that signed the deal. He signed the four year um, extension. He was bought in and of, of 
all the drama that they had for the last two years, it wasn't Kevin. It, he was the soldier. You know, when they asked him to play 48 minutes in the playoffs, he did it. You know, he played 37 minutes, 38 minutes a game last year. Um, and there's no reason Kevin Durant at 34 years old should be having that kind of minute usage. I mean, he did whatever they asked of him. Um, and he did it at an extremely high level. So, like, yeah, if that dude wants to get online and 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 fire tweets off at people, or, or you know, like, just make his presence known in, in, in the way he, he does, like, I do not care. Like, you cannot tell me yeah. Kevin Durant was was a cause of whatever happened in Brooklyn. And you know, you know what Kevin Durant wants? He just wants respect, and he wants to like play basketball. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's like yeah. the easiest guy in the world to fit around. Like Kevin Durant. Yeah wants to hoop and he wants the respect that I, in my opinion, he is well afforded. Uh, I, yeah, no, this is a no brainer. Kevin Durant fucking rules. <laughs> I, I don't think the perception of, of Durant on Twitter is reflective of Durant's actual perception globally and, and amongst can't casual fans like Twitter is, not I agree with that too of, Completely. of the real world. And so like, yes, all of these like fans who were like, um, just crazy disrespectful, <laughs> honestly, uh, online to, to, to KD. Um, I, I do not believe, like, you know, like the average fan, like the second KD is traded, no matter what team he's on, those arenas are selling out. Those jerseys are selling out. Those shoes are going to be everywhere um, on those city streets. So, like, I, I, I think there is an enormous amount of, like, also like economic opportunity for the city that trades for him in terms of, like, the, the business and attraction and, like, the all of that stuff that he's going to bring. Yeah. Um Look, real quick, like any sleeper teams, like I guess Boston theoretically could get involved. Um, I guess that Utah theoretically could get involved now because they have all of the million picks from Minnesota. I don't know. I got, I got, I got one. Golden State. Yeah, give me a sleeper. Golden State. Yeah, I'd be, I would be staggered by that. I mean, right? They, look, like- they have they have the pieces to do it. Do. I agree with you, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole. Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, Pat Baldwin, whatever. I get it. Yeah. No way. <laughs> I mean, like, I think there's like no the way. like I don't think uh, like I don't think Pat Riley's going to give up in his pursuit of Kevin Durant. Like I think if he yeah. feels like he can make it happen, he'll make it happen. I just think again, like Phoenix, Miami's in one of those situations where like their assets are like, eh, and you don't want to move Bam, especially because like Katie wants to play with Bam. Katie wants to play with Jimmy and and, and Kyle. And so, like, just well, they, the, they also they can't move Bam because of the um. Well, they'd have to move Bam. The Rose Rule, the Rose Rule thing, because of they have Simmons and uh, right. Bam. So you'd have to get rid of Ben too. Um. Yeah. So like, it's just like the amount of obstacles needed to like make those trades happen to me are a significant barrier. And I think there are teams with cleaner um, trades uh, that have the assets, and it's just a question of do they have the right motivation. And in my opinion. Yeah they should have the motivation. <laughs> the The only other team that like hasn't really been discussed much is Memphis. Memphis has Jaron Jackson and they have Desmond Bain. Jaron Jackson has just undergone ankle surgery, foot surgery, something like that. Uh, he'll miss a bit of time here moving forward. Yeah. I think if Memphis wanted to offer both Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain, that, that could be an intriguing offer. I would still rather have Aiton and Mikael Bridges personally than jackson and bain but that is very close and i am like willing to entertain opinions otherwise and like the other one would be like if if 
Michael Porter Jr. had stayed healthy and he had had like the year that he like was capable of having, like you could have put the Nuggets as like yes, like they had the goods to kind of like put this together. But I- so problem there. Uh, I spoke about this on the last podcast, and I want to say that I was wrong. Uh, oh. You run into the same Rose Rule issue with Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray in potential trades as you do with Bam Adebayo. <laughs> oh, they gave they gave Michael Porter Jr. the Rose Rule. That's pretty funny. That's pretty yeah. funny. Um, so that that's hilarious to me. But to me, again, yeah, then that that's an obstacle because then you're looking. Oh, if we have to get rid of Ben Simmons. We have to find a team for Ben Simmons, and and right. yeah, that's a problem. Why why should Brooklyn have to do that when they're the ones trading Kevin Durant? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't. I don't see like there there were a limited number of suitors based off of where there aren't like a limited, limited number of suitors. Like it's going to be a bidding war. There are three or four or five teams that are realistically in this, but like, I don't see Cleveland selling out to be like, we will give you Evan Mobley to get Kevin Durant. I don't think they're close enough. I don't know how much Kevin would love that. Um, it'd be amazing to see Kevin hilarious. play, yeah, play with Darius Garland. But like, well, I just um, hilarious because like LeBron, that's like you know LeBron went to a young Cleveland team and then kind of like made it into like what he needed it to be to win and like like Durant going there would be like kind of ironic in a way. I I, I saw someone come up with a uh, a crazy conspiracy theory of like what if what if they traded for Kevin Durant, LeBron James is a free agent. After next offseason, Ronnie James is entering the NBA at some point relatively soon. Um, Bronny's like a top 60 player in the country. I think he could use a bit more seasoning still. Like he, he's going to need some time. He might he's be a, a top real one player in the country if LeBron is still playing at the level he's playing and he, his promise holds true. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> LeBron goes back to Cleveland, plays with Kevin Durant. They sign Bronny. We're ready to go. That seems totally crazy to me. But what is going on in Brooklyn is the question. What is going, What's going on in Brooklyn? What's going on in Brooklyn? We're, we're just asking questions here. We're just asking, we're asking questions. questions. What's going on in Brooklyn? That's, that's, the, that's what everyone wants to know. Okay. Shamit, tell the people again where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at fear the Brown. Uh, definitely going to be tweeting about this Kevin Durant stuff until it, it's done. Nice. Um, yeah. And you can find my work uh, at boot crew media and my podcast at in the know, which is N O like new Orleans. So in the know, I don't know what I'm going to do with this podcast yet. Shamit and I went for two hours. I might, I will definitely release the YouTube coming up here momentarily. Um, the podcast might get split into two parts. We'll see. I haven't totally decided on that yet. There's just quite a bit to cover here. Uh, regardless, until next time, we'll talk soon.